Uh, this will be part number 34 of our ongoing sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. And we are still in Romans chapter 9. Lord willing, we're going to finish that up today on a message I've titled, Even Us. And we, we've taken that out of the text. You'll uh, see that here in just a, a moment. But if you do remember last time, we looked at verses 14 through 23, and we asked the question, Is God unfair? That was the, the obvious question that they would be asking that day, especially the Jews. Is God unfair that he would make all those promises back when he promised to Abraham about his seed and how he bless them? And, then, and now that the Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah, and, and now, Paul, you're telling us that uh, we're no longer part of the salvation plan? Uh, don't we have the right to be saved? Aren't we because we're of the circumcision, because we're of the law, because we have followed all the the rituals, the routines, everything God's always told us to follow, don't that mean that we are assured salvation? And so the obvious question is, if they're not, then is God being unfair? Well, of course, certainly not. That's Paul's answer. You know, the, certainly not. Uh, but we see here as we pick up, and we did look at verses 22 and, and uh, 23 last time, but I do want to include them in this morning's reading because uh, they it will keep it in proper context. So let's go ahead and begin a reading there in Romans chapter 9 verse 22 and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 9 verse 22 and here the Bible says, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in, in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of, of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of, of Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we had been at Sodoma and had been like unto Gomorrah. Uh, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness? even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Will you help us now, Father, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time looking at verses 22 and 23 since we did cover those last time. Uh, but if you re remember what the kind of the ongoing theme Paul was showing here was God's righteousness and how God, it was at his mercy that anyone at all was to be saved. And we also saw in that text that Ultimately, it's bringing God glory no matter what happens. Whether God sees vessels that's fit for destruction or vessels fit to be saved, um, it's all bringing glory to him. Uh, so 
That's the main main thing here we see. These examples in the previous verses where God said he'll have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. And uh, he will harden whom he will harden. He used Pharaoh as an example. We know he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had no choice there. God did it. It was God's prerogative. And so he uses the analogy also of the potter and the clay and how the potter has total control over the clay. The clay has no say. So the potter does all the shaping, the molding. If the potter wants to bust that in, in, into shards and pieces, then that's his, his prerogative. If he wants to make it into a beautiful vessel and save it, then that is also his prerogative. So he has control over the clay. You see, one of the problems of men that we have is thinking that everything begins with us and ends with us. That we have control over everything that goes on in life. And we like to think that we do, but in fact, we do not. Uh, we think the Bible was written for us. And somebody's going to say, well, it was. <laughs> it was. It was written for us, but ultimately, it was written for God to glorify himself and show us and introduce us to him, to his son, Jesus, because Jesus runs through the entire Bible. And so the Bible really, although it is written for us, it is to bring glory to God. And ultimately, that's what it's for. Now, think of it this way. Your salvation is all of God. God is the one that saved you. And it wasn't just to keep you from going to hell. He saved you for his own glory, to show his grace and his mercy on a no-count sinner that was hell-bound. And so he got glory for saving you. You had nothing to do with it. You placing your faith in Christ. That was not you that was enabling, enabling yourself to do that. God enabled you to have that faith. If God had not enabled you to have that faith, you would not place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're seeing right away everything begins with God. Pastor Sexton, you say that a lot back in seminary at Crown College. Uh, every It all begins with God. And it does. It doesn't begin with man at all. And so it's God's effectual calling on us that causes us to seek him. It causes us to desire him. It causes us to want to worship him, all of that is of God. It's not of ourselves. Even living a holy and righteous life, you're not able to unless God performs it through you. And he'll do that through the Holy Ghost. And so it's impossible to live a godly life that's pleasing to him on our own. God enables us to do it through Christ. Are you catching on? It's not about us. It's all about him. And once we realize that everything God does is to glorify himself to bring glory to him, the better we'll understand that it's his prerogative to do whatever he wants. If he so chooses to save some people and not save others, that's his choice. It shows his wrath, uh, when he, uh, his wrath upon vessels that he, uh, we talked about the potter, the, the vessels fitted to destruction is what the Bible called them. And if he pours out his wrath on sin and someone goes to hell because of it, then that glorifies God, showing that he will not tolerate sin because he is a, he's a God of, of perfectness. He cannot tolerate sin. And so, uh, in his riches of glory, bestowing mercy on vessels, saving those, that brings glory to him. And what right do we have to questioning? We have no right. So, look at verse 24, back in Romans 9. And this is where we got our title from. Even us. Even us what? Even us can be saved. Whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
So, like I said, I titled the message, Even Us. That is who the text is talking about. Us who hath been called. That's what the Bible says. You cannot be saved unless you've been called. Man does not come to God. No man seeks after God. That's what the Bible says. God is the one that draws men. John 14 and 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's no people going just directly to the Father because they desire him. They desire to worship him. Oh, no, friends, that's not how it works. God calls them. Jesus said in John 6 and 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you must be called in order to be saved. Now notice that Paul includes both Jew and Gentile in the even us. You see, it was difficult for the Jews to understand how God could engraft the Gentiles into the plan of salvation. They, they never thought that he would do that, even though the Old Testament over and over and over prophesied that such would come about. Uh, they felt like they were naturally saved. They naturally had salvation through their bloodline and through their keeping of the law and the circumcision. So it was difficult for them to accept the fact that the Gentile also was engrafted into the plan of God. And that is probably why Paul mentions Gentiles 26 times in the book of Romans alone, more than any other writer. Uh, that's more than he mentions them in all of his other letters combined. Here in Romans, 26 times Gentiles are mentioned. Now the fact is, God's promises are, were not the natural to the natural offspring of Abraham. They never were. But they were made to the true seed of Abraham, which would come through Christ. This would include the Jew and the Gentile alike. And somebody once said that we're all children of Abraham, and I kind of um, didn't like that thought, but, it's, but that's what the Bible actually tells us, that he is our father. He's the father to, of the faith. And so, as we studied in chapter 4 of Romans, Romans 4 and 16, the Bible says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, meaning the Jew, but also which, uh, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So if you have the faith of Abraham, and if you believe in Christ, then you do have the faith of Abraham, then you are one of these that the Bible's talking about. And so we're one of the true seed of Abraham. Now, while we as Gentiles were not Jews by birth, we can claim Abraham as our father, the father of our faith. Because that's what the Bible says, the father of us all. Now look at verse 25 and 26. As he saith also in Osea, that means Hosea, that is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name, uh, Hosh, Hosea, uh, Hosea. Uh, and he says, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So what we have now, again, is Paul quoting again from the Old Testament. These were the books that the Jews had available to them. They had the books of Moses, they had the, po the poems, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and they had the, the prophets. Uh, you, you hear that mentioned in the New Testament, you know, you have the prophets. You know, Jesus told the rich man, you know, you have Moses and the prophets. If they wouldn't hear them, then they're not going to believe uh, one that would come from the dead. 
And so these, uh, these Old Testament quotes that Paul's using is proof positive to the Jew that everything that's happening, the Jews rejecting Christ, the Jews uh, having a stumbling block because of him, the Gentiles being engrafted in, all that has been prophesied already by their prophets. And so he takes them to Hosea, Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. That's where the quote comes from. Then said God, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. <laughs> and then also in Hosea 2, 23, he takes their quote from, it says, and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they, they shall say, thou art my God. Now these Old Testament scriptures, of course, like I said, it's proof positive to the Jew that uh, everything Paul has said has been prophesied. It's true. Uh, there will be those Jews that will be rejected by God, and there'll be those that God will say, you are my people, and they will accept it. And there'll be those that were never God's people that will come to him. Uh, if you remember the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, uh, if you remember they were married, and whether she was a harlot before they married or she became one during the marriage, it's hard to, uh, uh, to really understand. But however, she became unfaithful, she became a harlot, and they had these children, that one they called Loami, for you're not my people. And so if you remember that story, she went out, and she was a harlot, and she was sold into slavery. And if you remember what God told him, go and find you a, a harlot from, from the people. And he went, and he sought her out, and he brought her back, he bought her, and brought her home, and uh, he made her his wife again. He put her back in her rightful standing. And so that what that is, that's a picture of God with his people, of how they strayed away. But there'll be a remnant. And that's an important word, by the way. God always has a remnant. And so there'll be a remnant that God will, he'll seek out and he will save those, uh, despite the fact that the Jews are in unbelief. And they are still in unbelief. They're shrouded in darkness right now. Their eyes are have a veil pulled over them. And so there are individual Jews that come to Christ, but Jews as a whole are not coming to Christ. They still reject the Jesus that we claim as our Savior. They say there's no way that was him. And so they're still waiting on a Savior. They're still looking for him. Uh, right now, the Jews are in darkness. They're in unbelief, spiritual darkness. Uh, but one day, just as Hosea went out and sought Gomer, one day God's going to restore uh, Israel. And uh, he's, still, he's not done with his people. The church is not a replacement for Israel, by the way. Uh, that replacement, that's called replacement theology. Some people believe the church is now Israel. No, it's not. It's two separate things. Now, ultimately, in the end, they will be saved the same as those that's in the church. And so we'll all be part of God's family and God's church. But we're not Israel. All right, now look at verse 27 back in Romans 9. And there you see Isaiah, the name is, starts with E again. That's a, a Greek rendering of the Hebrew name. So Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. There's that word I told you important. A remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, 
because of short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now, here again, Paul is supplying more Old Testament passages of Scripture with probably one of their greatest prophets of all that they would all recognize as such, Isaiah. Isaiah was, was the prophet you want to go back to. Um, he, he prophesied this uh, in Israel, and he says, as many as in the sands of the sea, but only a remnant would be saved. A remnant is a part of something. It's a portion. It's a, it's a sample if you if you're a seamstress, you may go to the to the place where they sell the the clothes, the cloth, and and things, and you may request a remnant so that you can compare it and see if that's what you want to use. Or some people use remnants and make small things with them. My mom used to make these little stuffed animals. She made me a little rabbit one time, and I kept it forever and ever and ever. And uh, I think my son has it now. But at one time, she was making all these little animals for us, stuffed animals. And she would make them out of these cloth remnants. It wasn't the entire roll. You know, there wasn't yards of it, but pieces of remnants she could make these things. The same if you're putting in carpet and you're not sure what color you want. You can go to the carpet store and say, I want a carpet remnant. I want to take it home and put it down on the floor and see if that's what I want. And so a remnant is just a part of a whole. That's what the Bible is saying about Israel. Not all Israel is going to be saved like that. Not each individual. But a remnant is still going to be saved. And so he takes his text from Isaiah chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption, even determined in the midst of all the land. Now, we have, of course, here a double prophecy because Isaiah was working there in the time of the land of Judah. He was a prophet of Judah. Uh, and so, just like Jeremiah, he was, he was just before Jeremiah. And he was prophesying that God's people would be taken into captivity, but there's going to be a remnant that's going to return that's going to be saved. Same thing. Uh, like I said, a double prophecy. In the future, God is going to save this remnant of, uh, of Israel. Now look at verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth, I can't already say that word, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. That's Sodoma or Sodoma, that is Sodom. That's, again, the way the Greek rendering of these words are. Uh, so he parts from an, or quotes from another part of Isaiah, this time Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9, which said, except the Lord of hosts had left Unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Again, the emphasis is placed upon a remnant, a small portion. This time it even says a small remnant. And he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were completely destroyed. And when you see Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned in the Bible, it is a term for total destruction. That's, that's what happened to those cities. God totally destroyed them. There's nothing left. Nothing. Uh, so that phrase there, the Lord Sabaoth, that means the Lord of hosts. That's what that word means, Sabaoth. It means armies or a military host. And so, in other words, the Lord of all. The Lord of all. A host is, is all. A big, big thing. So this shows God's sovereignty. And it is not to be questioned. Now, these last four verses of chapter 9, 
they really go with, uh, uh, is there 4, 30, 31, 33? Yeah. These verses here, these last verses, really go with chapter 10, the first four verses of chapter 10. And a lot of times we would save these verses to use there. But I want to go ahead and continue with this this morning and look at these last parts of this chapter, these last verses. So look at verse 30. It says, what shall we say then? All right, now, after Paul has already told them all this information about God's going to show mercy, he's going to show mercy, and, uh, you know, he'll he'll give, uh, he'll make those rats fit to destruction or or those he's going to save and and um, all these these things he's been talking about, how the, the Jew and the Gentile alike be saved and everything. And so, again, Paul is doing the same thing he always does. He, he uses the question they would be asking. And so he says, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness of which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness? That is their natural question the Jews would have. So you mean to tell me that bunch of ungodly dogs, those Gentiles, who never sought after God, never followed after the, the law, never did anything right, they're evil, they're wicked, they're, uh, you know, they're not God's people, you mean to tell me they don't have to do anything and God's going to save them? Is that what you're telling us? They've attained God's righteousness, and they didn't have to do anything to get it. But yet we, God's own people, the Jews, Israelites, we have spent our entire history following the law. We have done every rule, every ritual. We've, we've kept all the dietary laws. We've, we've worshipped at the right times. We've, we've done everything. We've followed the circumcision I mean, we are, we've done everything. And you mean to tell us the Gentiles are chosen over us that we are not attained righteousness through God, even though we've done everything? And that, of course, is going to be the Jews' question. I mean, wouldn't you question it? That's what you've always been brought up to believe. Just follow these laws of God. God gave these laws to Moses. You must follow these. If you're going to be righteous, if you're going to be right in God's eyes, you've got to do all this stuff. You know, if you mess up, this is going to happen to you, and that's going to happen to you. And so they lived a life, very strict life. And when it comes to Paul telling them about all this grace and mercy and God saving people that never followed a single law in their life, and they're saying, Are you, is that really what you expect us to believe? And so Paul is using this example as, again, proof salvation is entirely of God's doing, not of their doing. The Gentiles did not earn salvation. They didn't have to do any works of the law, and they weren't looking for salvation. Not the Gentiles. Yet God divinely bestowed his grace and mercy upon them and freely gave them the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us the same thing. We have a choice to receive the free gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. Same thing he did with the Gentiles. We don't have to work. We don't have to keep a law. We don't have to, do, to abstain from anything. We don't have to do any of this stuff. All we simply have to do is to receive the free gift of salvation. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel. It is so simple. It's so simple. I preached on this last Sunday there at Northside about, about the gospel and how it was simply the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and believing in that to save you. 
And I believe his brother Scott, he was saying, you know, people try to make the gospel so complicated. And they do. But listen, the gospel is so simple, even the smallest child can understand that. Do you believe that Jesus came here and died on the cross to save you from your sins? Yes, I do. Do you believe he was buried in, in, a, in a tomb and he rose again in three days? I sure do. Well, so you believe in Jesus? I do. Call on the name of, of Jesus. You shall be saved. That's all. That's all, simply all you got to do is have that faith. Receive that gift. I believe that. And with all your heart, you believe it. You can be saved. But people do want to complicate it. Oh, Brother Byron, that's way too simple. Oh, no, 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 no. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And that means, no, you don't. The Jews were relying upon obedience to the law for salvation. What do they call it there? Uh, uh, righteousness. Attain righteousness. The law of righteousness, not attain the law of righteousness. So they believed they were made righteous by simply following the law. And their bloodline because they could claim Abraham as their seed, uh, as their lineage. They were the seed of Abraham and they kept the law. Then that's all they thought they had to do. But the truth is salvation has never, ever, never, ever been about following the law. It has never saved anybody. The law has never saved. It never will. And it, it never did. It can't not, not now or not, not ever. That's why Paul said in Romans 4.13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's by faith. Now the Jews knew the books of Moses very well, those first five books of the Bible. They knew them inside and out. And they knew that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that it may not have been that chapter and verse, because uh, it wasn't split up at that time, but they knew in the book of Genesis that God said, and he believed in the Lord, talking about Abraham, and he counted it to him for righteousness. It didn't say that he performed all the laws and the rituals. In fact, Abraham came before the law of Moses. And so it was simply by faith, Abraham stepped out on faith. By faith, Abraham left the earth of the Chaldees and went where God told him he would go. And by faith, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. James tells us the same. But the Jews were so blinded by their works of self-righteousness, and they had worked their way all the way into darkness. You can work yourself to death, and you'll work yourself right into hell. Simple as that. When Jesus came along, he became a stumbling block. Stumbling stone, the Bible calls it here, a, a rock of offense, a stumbling block. And that is what Paul emphasizes in these last two verses of this chapter 9 of Romans. Look at it. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion. There it has an S again. That's a Greek rendering of Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So here Paul again is quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 says, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
And then in Isaiah 28 and 16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And so Paul uses these two Old Testament passages of Scripture, puts them together, and says, this is the stumbling stone, the stumbling block Isaiah prophesied about that you guys are stumbling all over. You're tripping and falling all over that stumbling stone. And he said that the foundation was the stone, a tried stone. And uh, he says that has become a stumbling block unto you. This tried stone, this precious cornerstone is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected him. They stumbled all over him. So Jesus became a stumbling stone to the Jews. And because of their unbelief and their works-based righteousness, they could not allow themselves to believe in him for salvation. They just couldn't do it. And that became their downfall. That's why Jesus approached that holy city on that day and looked out and wept on that city because they'd missed the time of their visitation. Their, their Messiah had come and they rejected him. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 24. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So you see what he's saying there. He said those which were called, both Jews and Gentiles, if you're saved, you were called. You're Gentile and you're saved. You were called by God. Uh, and that is through the Christ who is the power of God, the Bible said, and the wisdom of God. But here, Christ is still a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to the Jew to this very day. Not only is he a rock of offense to the Jew, but he's a rock of offense to this lost and dying world. It doesn't matter what background or ethnicity you're from. He is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to this world. The world does not want to believe in Jesus. They want to reject Christ. They want to uh, rid this world of anything even uh, uh, resembles Christ or, or anything that refers to Christ. We certainly don't want that. And so Jesus himself said this to the chief priests and the elders. They were questioning him. If you remember, he was in the temple and he was teaching and preaching. And all the people were listening, and he was saying such words of wisdom that they had never heard any man say before. And those scribes and these uh, elders, or the chief priests, they come to Jesus, and they, they ask him, where did he get this authority to teach like this? Who gave you this authority? Listen to what he said, Matthew 21 and 42. Jesus said unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. <laughs> you see, Jesus also quoted from the Old Testament. That was a quote from the Psalms. Psalm 118, 22, and 23 says, The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so Jesus was proving to these very religious elite leaders, the chief priests, the, those scribes, those that were leaders of the Jewish people, and they come to him and they stick their nose up and they say, who gave you this authority to teach like this the things of God? And he said, uh, did you, do you not read? Do you, do you not remember what was said 
in the Psalms? Do you not remember that? Come on, guys. He says, if you never read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected. Now he's talking about himself here because they've rejected him. He is the stone. He might as well just said, listen, guys, I'm the stone and you're falling all over me. You're tripping. Every time I come in here, you're tripping all over me. You can't stand it. And that's what the, the prophets prophesied. And he said, by the way, it's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous. And so Jesus is a stumbling stone to the lost and the dying world. Righteousness can only come about through salvation, and it can only come through Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, uh, hillbilly, um, whatever you are. Uh, you have to come through Christ to be saved. And so I'm thankful that I can say this morning, even I can be saved. I titled the message, Even Us. That's what the text said. Even us, Jews and Gentiles. But I can tell you right now, even I can be saved. I'm thankful for that. Even you can be saved. You listening right now to this message, wherever you may be, even you can be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed, the thoughts you've had. God will save anybody. All you simply have to do is believe in the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross. He came here. God sent his only begotten son here to die for you so that you could be saved from your sins. If you do not receive that gift of salvation before you die, you're going to go to hell and you're going to pay and suffer for your sins for eternity. Eternity never ends. It never ends. Here on earth, we always see a beginning and the end of things. One of these days, we'll all close our eyes in death. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We will all close our eyes in death one day. If the Lord comes before then, we'll go to meet him in the air, or you're going to go to your eternal destruction. And so, if you're not saved, when the Lord comes, it's too late. There's no place like the, the Roman Catholics believe called purgatory. It doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. That doesn't, it's, it's a make-believe place where they believe you can go and pay off your sins. Maybe somebody can say some Hail Marys for you or pay off a priest, and they can pray you out of hell or out of purgatory. There's no such thing, friends. That's a, that's a, a fantasy that somebody made up in their mind. Don't believe such a thing. You have to be saved through Jesus Christ. If you're going to go to heaven, I'd like for everybody to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Thank you, God, for telling us that you're the only way. Lord, that Jesus Christ is the means of salvation. He's the door. No man can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. And God, we just pray today for those that are listening, maybe those that's never been saved, or maybe they've been been uh, straddling the fence, thinking they can keep one foot in the world, one foot over, trying to, to dangle it around in the church and, and hope that everything's going to work out. But God, we know that's not true. Lord, we must completely receive you as Savior, Lord. Believe in the gospel and be saved. Help those today, Lord, that need to be saved. Convict their heart. Draw them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.